Welcome to our annual back to school message. This is the start of school from kindergarten right through college. Every school I think is doing it different. It's been pretty interesting, weird spring, and it's probably going to be an interesting, if not weird, fall as well. And it's a fresh start for our church as well. We kind of, this is kind of like our beginning of our fiscal year, not really, but this is, you know, people come back from summer break and vacations and so on and start school. We're going to start some kids' programs. King's Kids, I know Pat announced that last week, is going to start after Labor Day weekend. Uh, awesome Merrill's, not quite yet. Awana, not quite yet, but soon, I'm sure. Uh, even adult classes, hopefully soon. We were doing an adult class, an uh, apologetics class. Uh, Jared was leading that, and hopefully we'll get back to that soon as well. But for years, we've used this Sunday, and actually we're going to use this Sunday and next as well, to equip you, young and old alike, and strengthen your foundation, your confidence in the Bible, and to give you a stronger world view. Today's title is Interventions, and we're going to look at four key interventions in history, all of which, all of these interventions are challenged by uh, people in academia. So you may run into that if you're in school. You may run into teachers, professors that don't believe exactly what the Bible has to say about creation and history. But our conviction is that the Bible is trustworthy. It's believable from beginning to the end. And also that whatever it says, it's supported by, it's never contradicted by observations in our natural world. This is important because not only do we believe, of course we believe in Jesus, of course we believe that he died and rose again for our sins according to the scriptures, but we also believe what the rest of the Bible has to say as well, not just Jesus, but everything else, creation and history. I'm going to introduce you to a young man, uh, well he was young then, he's older now, but back in the 1980s when we started to evangelize on the University of North Dakota campus, I met a young man, he wasn't a student, he was working on campus, but he was in his 20s, his name was Kevin, and he claimed emphatically to believe in Jesus, but he didn't believe in Genesis, didn't believe the creation account and other things written in the book of Genesis. We're going to talk more about Kevin a little bit later and next week as well. So anyway, what follows today are four significant interventions by God that are recorded in the Bible. And again, these are all challenged by some in academia. And not only are we going to look at those in the Bible, we're going to look at corroboration from the natural world and from recorded history as well. So we'll get started. Number one, intervention number one is creation. Now, to be accurate, God didn't intervene in history here. He started history when he created time and matter. Genesis 1, that beautiful reading of Genesis 1 gives us the account. You know, even before I came to Christ in December of 1977, that goes back 40 plus years, 
even before I came to Christ, when I was a student on the campus here, and going back even before then, high school, I would sometimes pick up the Bible and I would read Genesis chapter 1, and I would just marvel at the majesty of Genesis chapter 1. Again, 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Seven ordinary days, six to create and one to rest. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3 says, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from the work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. God created everything in six ordinary days, and after that there were no more acts of creation. It was over. Now I want to share some corroborating evidence. And we get it from the first law of thermodynamics. You can plug that one up there, Caleb. The first law of thermodynamics says basically this, the total quantity of matter and energy in the universe is constant, though it can change form. What he's saying is there's no more creating going on. Creation is over. The total amount of matter and energy is constant. And that's exactly what it says in Genesis. Creation has ended. And that's confirmed by the first law of thermodynamics. Next, the second law of thermodynamics says this. There is a universal tendency for everything to run down, for disorder to increase, and that eventually everything will die. There'll be no more usable energy. The second law of thermodynamics implies then that the universe had a beginning because there's, there's trains of thought going on out there that the universe is eternal. It can't be eternal. If it was eternal, then the disorder would be complete. There'd be no more usable energy. Everything would have died by now. It would be 100% disordered. Do you see that? Romans 8, 20 verse 22 states the same thing. Increasing disorder and more unusable energy. We'll read that in a moment. But I want to share confirmation, historical confirmation, not just from the Bible, but historical confirmation of the Genesis creation account. And I'm just pulling one off here from the Pima Indians in Arizona. And here's what, they, here's what the, their account of creation was. Notice many similarities. Earthmaker took some clay in his hands and mixed it with his own sweat and formed it into two figures, a man and a woman. He breathed life into them and they began to walk around. They lived, they had children, they peopled the land, they built villages. There are many other similar accounts. Obviously it's not exactly like Genesis, but there's some similarities there. And how about this? How about corroboration from Jesus himself? He said in Mark 10, verse 6, but from the beginning of creation, from the beginning of creation, not six billion years from the beginning, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. So, question, class. Which came first, the chicken or the egg? 
How many say chicken? I'm not going to ask how many say egg. It's a chicken. God made the chickens first, and then they could reproduce after their kind. And intervention number two. We'll go through intervention number two. We'll save the next two for next week. God pronounced everything as being very good at the end of creation. So what happened that deterioration and death was brought in? Well, the answer is sin. Genesis 2, verse 17, God said, But of the tree tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. That's what happened. And all creation actually became subject to the curse of one man's sin. And now here's that passage from Romans chapter 8, verses 20 through 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs until now. That's corruption. And it's also a rendition of the second law of thermodynamics, corruption of creation, increasing disorder. So again, the second law of thermodynamics corroborates the biblical account. Here's another historical account, corroboration from the Incas of Peru, and they called their god Viracocha. So here's their rendition. Their God, Viracocha, ordered his people to live without quarreling and that they should know and serve him. He gave them a certain precept which they were to observe on pain of being cursed that they should break it. It's not mentioned what that precept was. But as there arose among them the vices of pride and covetousness, they transgressed his precept. Falling through this sin under his indignation, he cursed them. And again, there's many other historical accounts mirroring Genesis. New Testament confirmation, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all have sinned, Romans 5.12, confirming everything we read in Genesis about corruption. I believe we'll stop here, but uh, I'm going to, for those of you who won't be here next week, I'm going to finish the story of Kevin. And I have it written exactly as I recall it. Remember, Kevin is the one who believed in Jesus said he believed in Jesus, said he believed in salvation and so on, but he didn't believe in Genesis, the creation account and everything thereafter in the book of Genesis. I wrote this down the day I talked with him. I talked with him again. This is October 24th, 1989. It was a few years later after I met I ran across him again. And I was talking to him. I said, how he's doing? And what's, what's, he, what's going on? What's he believe? He said... Over the previous six months, he had developed some skepticism that salvation is for real. He believed it was possible that the resurrection was a hoax. He said that the Bible was not God's word totally. 
and he now read literature from former, former fundamentalists. He said he felt that the cross and the atonement were not for real. Very sobering, isn't it? If we doubt God's word about Genesis, eventually we'll ultimately doubt his word about other things, including Jesus, the cross, and salvation. We're going to pause here. Except, you know, uh, Caleb, could you go down to a couple of quotes? I want to share these quotes, and then we're going to pray and share communion together. First one by our good friend C.S. Lewis. He said this, Christianity, if you find that one, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Next one. The greatest menace in this country is not the bootlegger. Now, this is a quote from a long time ago. Most of you young people, you don't know what a bootlegger is, but that was during the prohibition when alcohol was uh, outlawed. They would make their own liquor and they'd hide it in their boot. They were bootleggers. So I'll replace that. The greatest menace in this country is not uh, the drug dealer or the racist, but the college professor who rejects the Bible and undermines the, undermines the faith of the young. So we got two more C's next week. We went through creation, corruption. Next week is catastrophe and then confusion. We'll share that next week. I'll do a quick review of what I shared now next week as well.